When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome, everyone, to Rock M Nation Podcast. Uh, this is a brand new episode of Dive Cuts. We're on season six, and it's like episode, what, 14.1? Um, I was going to say 0.5, but... Um. <laughs> so, uh, we are here to talk all about your Missouri Tigers and their basketball program. I am your host, Sam Snelling, with me uh, from Como, uh, hanging out with the Rents uh, over the holidays is Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? Uh, I'm well. Uh, had... Uh, the requisite fill of Heidelberg, Ernie's, and uh, Subshop. So I'm ticking off the key food groups uh, as we go here. Maybe I'll get to GD. I don't know if the Greeks are going to close things up tomorrow, though, or not. So we'll see. It's It'll be NYE. I don't know if, the, if uh, that fam is going to allow me to access Euros or not. But I've gotten to most <laughs> of the big places. Well, yeah, so uh, if you read... The study hall um, about Kentucky. You know that Matt and I actually recorded a podcast. Uh, something happened with my audio, and it basically just disappeared from the file that I saved. So we we lost half of that podcast. And instead of just publishing Matt talking to himself, um, we opted just to trash it and re-record. And so it is Friday, December thirtieth. Uh, Missouri is coming off two pretty big wins. So we have not talked to you since uh, they they took down Illinois in the Bragging Rights game, uh, and they followed that uh, a week later with a win over the uh, formerly top 25 Kentucky Wildcats. Uh, I think a lot of people are, are going to be voting the Cats out uh, this week, Matt. 
So I, I think we'll start with bragging rights, if if uh, if you're okay with that. Yeah, yeah, we can work through that. Um, people would love to relive that. I think, uh, given how that transpired, and just sort of think the good, the good vibes that that came out of that, and you know that now we're sort of flowing into uh, what transpired on uh, Wednesday night. Yeah. So I, I mean, really, there there were a lot of similarities with both games. Obviously, uh, you know, bragging rights was a little bit more of like a surprise the the way that they played against Kentucky um less surprising because they kind of played that w- way against Illinois um i you know i think off the gate uh it's worth addressing that you and i are kind of big believers in the idea that there's there's something wrong uh with the Illinois basketball team um they're they're very talented uh, they are an absolute mess. Um, although they did uh, come back off their loss to Missouri and and beat um, Bethune Cookman. Bethune, that's who it was. Um, and it's one of those things, like you know, whether a team uh, is playing well, like Illinois, still absolutely should be. Uh, I mean, a safe NCAA tournament team. At this point, they've got some some very big wins to hang their hats on. Uh, as long as they don't tank the rest of the season, which you know is entirely possible, it's 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 possible that Penn State maybe sort of started their uh, their descent, and Missouri just sort of pushed them over the edge. Um, but probably more than likely, they'll they'll be adequate at least in the Big Ten and and be an NCAA tournament team. Whether or not they're a top twenty-five team, I think that all just kind of depends on whether they fix whatever is going on because the the talent level is there. Uh, but I sort of feel that, and I think this also kind of extends to uh, to how Missouri played against Kentucky, is if you don't have your your nuts and bolts tightened up, like Missouri will knock them loose, um, and. The wheels came off pretty early for Illinois. Uh, if if Kentucky didn't have um, Oscar Shibway, they probably would have completely fallen off a lot earlier than they did. Yeah, I, I thought in the Illinois game, you know, we Matt Watkins and I sort of you know went through the tactical stuff earlier this week in the verdict, and you know, even I wrote a piece kind of about how the one three one was important. And it's become important to this team, but I think with Illinois, you just argued it's got a little bit of a disconnect internally. I don't know if it's because Illinois is you know trying to integrate a bunch of transfers with you know heavy freshman class. Is it you know that Coleman Hawkins is a guy who you know has always sort of been the third or fourth guy in your rotation, and now he's you know, the preeminent vet there. Um, I think by now most people, if, you know, going into the Illinois game, kind of coming out of that aftermath, sort of know. That you know, I think that there's you know Matthew Mayer's been pretty vocal about some of their internal issues. Um, you know, people have said you know, at least guys on that team have talked about kind of the the types of practices that Brad Underwood oversees and kind of his style in workouts. Um, and I just think it, it's really hard for this group. You know, they they lost so much. They lost ten guys off that roster, and you know, no matter if it was a star in you know in Kofi Coburn down to even bench guys all those guys were bought into Brad's culture and, you know, there's not, you know, I think a real strong contingent of guys that are, you know, key cogs for them 
that are sort of steeped in that. Um, even if, like, you look at Missouri, which is an all-new roster, there are four Cleveland State guys here that sort of know what Dennis Gates is about, have bought into his vision before, and can sort of translate that culture to the rest of the roster. I don't think Illinois necessarily has that. And it looks like that, you know, tactically, Missouri did a lot of things great. They crushed the scout, but I just think, you know, the one thing that kept coming back to me, and I think I said this when we recorded earlier in the week, is it was just jarring to see Illinois seem so dispassionate, so disconnected at times. And, you know, to me, you know, to your point, you know, Missouri, you know, may not have a raw talent, you know, balance to some of those teams, but I do think they've got some culture and some continuity they've built. And that's been something that's really, really been vital to them in the last two games. And like I said, we'll keep talking about the scheme that they've done, but it just feels like right now the culture of Missouri has really helped them the last two times out. Well, and in a lot of ways, uh, you know, like I, I even wrote about this in like the previous Bragging Rights wins, like, you know, whatever you want to say about Council Martin and, and that the last version of his, uh, his Missouri Tigers was, was atrocious. Um, you know, but before that, the one thing that really sort of exuded, you know, Missouri as a program, and maybe they weren't even like the, you know, the best team, but they were always going to be tough. Uh, and it felt like every time Bragging Rights came, and you know some of that, you know, with with Javon Pickett, obviously, you know, we very much played up, uh, you know, Javon Pickett and his dominance over Brad Underwood. Um, but even guys like Tilly and Mark Smith too, yeah, like sort of factor into that. All, yeah, all those guys like had a reason to want to beat Illinois, um, and so they like they you, they just fought harder, and and you know Illinois had had guys who had no real bone to pick with Missouri other than they knew the fan base wanted to beat Missouri. And, and so there was, there was that edge. And I thought Missouri definitely was playing with that edge uh, in this year's Bracken rights game. Um, and really the only, the only guy that was like really kind of playing significant minutes a year ago for Illinois was Coleman Hawkins. And he's just, he's a skilled big who, you know, kind of comes and goes at times. Uh, but he's not really a vocal leader kind of guy. He's not a guy who's like going to rally the the locker room. Um, and I think that guy on this year's team is probably going to be somebody more along the lines of Terrence Shannon, who's still. I mean, I, I thought Shannon played tough. Uh, I thought he played hard. Um, you know, maybe the uh, you know lack of exposure to his teammates as he kind of joined the roster later um, might have played a role. Uh, that he isn't quite. Uh, or hasn't quite taken the lead, you know, the run by a freshman point guard, you know, uh, actually, um, Sky Clark is, uh, had to sit up with him Cookman. I think he's got a little bit of a shoulder injury. Yeah. Um, you know, but still like, you know, freshman guards, even though we, we both admit to liking their guards a lot, uh, you know, as, as freshmen, they, they still are a little bit rudderless. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, you know, the thing to me and I, and, no, Matt Mayer has sort of been the guy that I've really talked about in various venues as being sort of the quixotic guy to me because he's, you know, he came from a culture and a coach that were very different than what Brad Underwood is. And, you know, Brad's style is what it is. It may not be something that I think is, is you know, conducive to success or in this climate, but it's worked. And at least Brad's transparent about he coaches guys hard. He's very vocal about it. He runs hard practices. And that's what it is. And, you know, Scott Drew is known as a guy who will talk to anybody. Like the joke during coaching search season is, 
yeah, call Scott Drew. He'll talk to your AD because Scott's just a nice guy and he likes to talk to people. And, you know, the culture, I think, is very different. And, you know, Matt Mayer, you know, himself is very different in terms of how he likes to manage his body. He's been very clear about, you know, his diet and his workout routines. It's just it's very different from what Brad is. And I think even Matt Mayer's, you know, sort of goals coming to Illinois were to show he was more than just a floor spacer, which he was kind of a Baylor. And I think you see a guy who's like trying to show he can be a three-level scorer. You have a guy who is coming from a culture and a practice environment that's very different. And there are times, I think, in the show from Bragging Rights where it felt like Mayer was trying to be that guy for them rather than just making the right you know, decision to move the ball an extra time, whether it was you know, his body language you know, after you know, some contact. It just felt like at times, Matt Mayer, your eyes go to him for the wrong reasons. And I think that's sort of, to me, the embodiment of where this team is right now is you've got a guy trying to figure out where he fits here, how to translate you know, his past experience to his current one, and really making that fit. And it just seems disjointed for them right now. Um, and like I said, you know, we can sort of talk about how Missouri, I think, exploited that. But, you know, Missouri came in and very clearly had an edge to them. And I think the way they sort of oriented the game plan gave Missouri an ability to sort of control that sort of eagerness that Missouri had. I felt like with Kansas, it was probably dialed up to 11. And, but in this one, I felt like they, they really sort of did a controlled release in terms of the energy that Missouri had. And Illinois was just flat. And when Missouri reached, you know, peak, when it had fully, you know, sort of engaged, there was just nothing from Illinois to, to really counter back. And it, and it really, I think, showed after about six or seven minutes. So some of that was definitely um, one of the things that, that you had written about was sort of their, their switch to, um, you know, more zone, uh, not all zone, because they're always going to be a little bit, you know, who they are and, and, and switch up defenses and, and try to, do some scramble man to man and yeah. things like that, but but relying more on the one three one um, and you know even the sort of like match up amoeba two three that that it kind of turns into at times uh, is one of those things where it allows Missouri to kind of cover up some other weaknesses in the half court defense. It allows them to kind of provide a little bit more rim like direct rim protection without having yeah. to like chase guys around. Uh, and it, it seems like, uh, and again, this kind of speaks to, you know, like not having your, your nuts and bolts tightened. Um, but teams that are very willing to accept the defense, uh, and, and shoot from the outside. Um, that's something that, you know, when they oh. did run the one, three, one out against, uh, UCF, like UCF was more than willing to take a yeah. lot of threes. Uh, unfortunately for Missouri, they made a lot of those. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of like the gamble is like, you know, like most teams aren't going to shoot you out of the gym. Um, if they have a good night, they're probably going to have 42 to 45% uh, from deep. Uh, and it's whether or not you can live with that. If they, if they have an average night, they're probably 32 to 35. And that's, that's something you can definitely live with. Um, you know, but it is one of those things where they, they, they put the pressure on Illinois to kind of, you know, make shots, and then they they didn't. And in the meantime, like they're also loose with the basketball. Uh, the primary ball handlers being a freshman point guard and a a turnover prone uh, sort of combo center power forward type, and Hawkins, uh, 
those are just not the kind of guys you want bringing the ball up against pressure. And I think Missouri was able to capitalize on that. Yeah. And I think Missouri did a nice job of, you know, we talked about it and I've talked to some other people who kind of, you know, who have, I think, you know, I try and have keen eyes defensively, but you know, who have said that it's a one, three, one alignment with two, three principles. So what Missouri is doing is, you know, they're not having a Rover out front. Like I wrote in the piece, they kind of have a guy, guy switch in and out and on the wings rather than trap out of the one, three, one watch where the wings are. They sit in a gap. And so really what happens is you're taught on the skip in the one, three, one to close out the shooter. Missouri doesn't, they close out to a gap in that slot gap. So you can't reverse the ball off the skip to the low corner and attack the zone from behind. So what happens is on a skip pass or on a kick out or on a rotation, what Missouri has essentially done is they have a guy out front and a guy in the in the gap, and they give you a little bit of a crease, but because there's somebody situated at the nail, you have a guy who's close enough to close out, you know, out top. You've got a guy denying a reversal load of the gap, and you've got someone sitting there. So really what you need is, and what you saw against Wichita State was, Wichita State, even if they split that guy, we're having to take a lot of contested pull-ups, and Missouri is fine with that. They're fine saying, okay, if you split us, you're still going to have a contested 9 to 16 foot jumper and we trust ourselves to you know contest that and then get to the glass. Missouri did that and I think Illinois fell into the trap. Okay, we're going to be fine shooting it over the top. And then Missouri switched to a softer man. Illinois kept shooting jumpers that triggered runouts off long misses. And then Missouri's you know started to get engaged, you know, and then they finally with about 6 or 7 minutes in, they go to full scramble man to man. They're starting to press off makes. They're starting to get in the open floor. And Illinois is just not comfortable operating in that environment. They're just not, you know, they haven't established a rhythm. They haven't been able to sort of feel out Missouri's man-to-man where they can get stuff. And you just didn't see any pushback from them. And I felt like, you know, once Missouri got that lead after like 25-12, that was sort of the point in this game and in this rivalry where you go, okay, let's buckle in. Here's going to come the counter run. And it just never happened. Missouri kept, you know, getting Illinois to settle, or they were able to turn them over, and they just extended it. And you just never saw Illinois really engage um, offensively. I thought Missouri had a really, really smart game plan. I don't know if it was necessarily new. They clearly had good examples to draw from on film, but I really thought what Missouri did was smart. They really just eased the, up the defensive pressure, but I think more so than creating turnovers. It really just prevented Illinois and a young Illinois team from finding a rhythm, from finding something that worked. And this team doesn't, I think, have the mental resiliency yet or the trust or the continuity to really fight back from that. And when they got down 13, you just didn't see them fight. And, and, that, and that's got to be discouraging uh, for, for Brad at this point in the season. Yeah, and you know, another thing that I would kind of point out is um, the the alignment that that Dennis Gates uses with with the one three one slash two three like whatever you you want to call it, the zone defense that they've primarily kind of been playing is instead of like the, the traditional alignment is you kind of have somebody that's long and athletic at out top and as soon as it gets to like you know past half court you try to sort of trap them in the corner uh, they don't do that they don't do that but they also like you traditionally put like your your biggest dude at in the free the throw line. And they don't do that either. Like they put uh, Demoy Hodge, uh, it, it, who we all know is is a terrific ball hawk. And so why that matters is because most teams will attack the middle of the zone with a big, 
And it doesn't matter if it's Coleman Hawkins, who's pretty good with the ball. It doesn't matter if it's, uh, oh, what's the, uh, Lance Ware. Uh, Lance Ware was the guy who was attacking in in the middle of the zone for Kentucky. That was a poor choice. Uh, or even, um, you know, Jacob Toppin. Like, it, it, it doesn't matter if you're going to throw a big in there because, like, Deboy Hodge has such good hands. He's going to make, like, that player, he's going to make their life miserable. Uh, you have to switch up. And this is actually, like, um, you know, Tony Bennett is uh, obviously a really smart basketball coach. Um, he just, he crushes Jim Beheim's zone. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that that he he loves to attack the middle of the, the zone with a guard. Uh, it's been, you know, Kihei Clark. It's been, yeah. you know, before that it was Ty Jerome. You know, he always basically, uh, you know, runs a guard right up the gut, gets the ball at the free throw line, and then they basically dribble back and it lifts up the zone, uh, exposing kind of like the backside of it. Uh, yeah. And you can't do that with traditional bigs. And as long as Missouri is is throwing this sort of defense, which like you want to punish Missouri by having traditional bigs because like they're so soft around the rim, they don't have the size. So we're going to put all these bigs out here. And I think Kentucky kind of did that. And they're like, we're just going to eat up the glass against Missouri. But you can't do that because the second the ball gets to the the middle of the zone, like you're you're bouncing it off some guy's hand and it's going to the other team. The one thing that I think Missouri does too, and you only saw it a couple times against Illinois, is if you get to that middle of the zone, the nails are about the top of the restricted area. There's a clip that we put in um, the verdict and in one, and in the one three one piece, where if you make if the big makes a move you've got the ability still to collapse your help down. So, like, you would see guards that would dig down. And then off the kickout, Missouri just reverts to matchup. So you basically take the closest guy. So it becomes a matchup out of a kick. So that way you can stay in the shell and rotate. So what that does is even if, like, Lance Ware gets held up at the post and he's like, okay, I'm going to kick out and have a shot, you're kicking out into matchup. So you can't really reverse out to the opposite side and get a jumper. So... When we say they're running a modified 2-3 or a modified 1-3-1, one, one, they're aligning in that. There's still some basic, you know, how guys slide and drop in it. But they close out to gaps. Then how they change some stuff is a modified one. So it's not quite the Amoeba 2-3, but it's it's still a nice sort of hybrid system that they've run. And it's it's been really interesting to see them implement that. And it, it was a difference maker in Kentucky. Kentucky had the lead down to nine. Missouri creates two turnovers out of it, you know, Midway through the second half, extends the lead, and Kentucky doesn't really make a push after that. So it's been really, really vital for them, you know, as sort of a way to be a run stopper. You know, I think I called it a fire extinguisher in the one three one piece. But it's been really, really interesting to watch them. And relative to its peers, Missouri is still zoning a lot. So it's something to really keep an eye on in terms of how it changes, how it evolves, and do teams figure out a solution for it as the season moves on. So that... Next win is is Kentucky. Um, we've talked about it a little bit so far. Um, this is Missouri's third win over Kentucky since uh, joining the SEC. Obviously, the Tigers have uh, not always been there um, as a program uh, since joining the SEC. Uh, believe the both they got one. They got one in dinner in Conzo's uh, first year. Yeah, I was going to say got- both on both were Conzo, right? Yeah, they got one in Conzo's uh, first year, and then they got in the one COVID in year. the pan in the COVID year when Kentucky was 
was a mess then and now <laughs> sort of a mess. So this is the thing, like if Kentucky is is down a little bit, Missouri has managed to to capitalize in Columbia. If Columbia if I mean if Kentucky comes in with a little bit of disarray and you know, we said this on the pod that, that never made public was, you know, which version of Kentucky shows up. Is it one that's engaged, that's locked in, that has a sense of itself and, you know, a sense of identity, you know, going into this game. There was the talent there to win it. And, you know, we know Oscar Sheepway is going to bring his energy. We know Oscar Sheepway is probably going to produce. But the question we had was, you know, was Kentucky going to be able to find a wingman for him? And, you know, they didn't. And this was a team, again, not quite as bad as Illinois, but I just, you, I was in the building Wednesday night to live. And Kentucky, just there was a palpable sense of just. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Deflation the entire game. Mm-hmm. And disengagement from them. Having seen Cal's teams live when they are really locked in, this group didn't have it from the jump. And I think Missouri, in the first half, kind of let them off the hook a little bit. But in the second half, when Missouri decided to put some structure in offensively, it was just, they carved them up. And it was not, you know, a, a vintage Cal team in any way. And, and there are some, some real, real serious problems that I think for the Wildcats as they move into SEC play. Yeah, so, I mean, they... Uh, they should have beaten Michigan State. Like they, they had should've. that game kind of won. They, they made some uh, brain foggy kind of errors down the stretch in re- regulation. Um, they did the same thing at the end of the first overtime. Then Shibway fouls out, and then they, they sort of lose the plot. Um, they were nowhere close to Gonzaga. Um, they were also nope. nowhere close to UCLA. So, yep. I mean... Two overtime game against Michigan State. It's you know toss up. Things don't really go your way. But this is now three games for them. Uh, you know against sort of top forty level opponents, uh, and it's been pretty uncompetitive. Uh, the only guy who is competitive is Oscar Shibway, who's a stud. Um, you know I like Casey Wallace was was terrific. Um, he's a great defender. He got a little into a little foul trouble, which I. Th- think kind of hurt him uh I, I think i actually pointed out in our chat during the game that uh, he had four fouls at one point they took him out put him back in and the first play that that missouri ran and this is one of the things that i really enjoy about dennis gates uh is they went right to Dre golston who attacked you know wallace and went right to the rim uh and yeah. scored scored a layup because you know wallace is aware he's also a young guy who 
still has to learn how to play with fouls. Uh, and, and so he basically gave the more experienced Golston uh, the lane and an easy layup. And it's just like, like this is one of the things where, you know, it, for, you know, for Cal, I think he's got two elite players. Um, and then a lot of guys who it kind of depends on the night. I, I, I think, you know, me, I'm not a big severe Wheeler fan. Um, you know, he's, he's an adequate college point guard. He passes well, but he's really small. He doesn't always defend all that great. Um, you know, and, and he's not a good shooter. So like if the, like, I'm just not entirely sure, like he's, is he better than like Nick honor? Um, I don't, I don't know that he is like, I, and I just, to me, like, is that a guy that you really want, um, you know, running your program if you're like trying to be a final four contender? I'm I'm not sure. I mean, I think the one thing that they really have a problem with outside is, you know, I think you've got to move Case and Wallace to the lead guard spot. They've got to figure out what they want to do with Chris Livingston. Are they going to, you know, let him play through errors or not? You know, he's getting yo-yoed a lot. I think the issue that they have is at the four spot where I don't... Jacob Toppin's measurables are great, and he looks great in workouts, and, you know, but as a basketball player, I'm not sure he gives them anything approaching the skill level that they need at the combo forward spot. You know, they bring him off the bench and they start Lance Ware, who Lance Ware is a grinder and a great guy and a great, you know, sort of minutes eater, you know, if you need 10 to 12 taken, but Lance Ware's not making the difference for you. So I don't know what they have really at that four or five spot. And then it's a bunch of young guys, you know, so I think that that's their issue is, you know, if they move Case and Wallace to the point and they have to shift CJ Frederick or Antonio Reeves to the combo spot, you know, is Chris Livingston ready for prime time on the wing and who you playing at the four? And those were two areas where I really thought Missouri showed a lot of holes. And I think, you know, Lance Ware, to me, was a guy they clearly attacked in the second half. I, I thought, you know, on rewatch, I just felt bad for Lance. For about the first five, six, seven minutes, you know, your point, Dennis Gates has a little bit of Eric Musselman in him, where if he sees a matchup where you are weak, he is going to just keep hammering away at it. Or if you can't defend an action, he's just going to keep calling the same thing over and over and over again until you stop it. And Kentucky saw the same action the first four possessions against you know, Missouri, and they were going right at Lance Ware. They get a stop. Missouri comes down. Gets an early clock one, but as soon as next time down, they call a different play set, but guess what it's doing? It's going right at Lance Ware. It's the same thing, and they just kept going at him. And I think that's the one thing you have to like is I think it's a layered approach, you know, that I think Dennis has at times where it's like, okay, we want to run stuff. We want to get into different things, but we have this matchup. Okay, we'll we'll try some different stuff to exploit it and, you know, keep Kentucky off balance. And, you know, that to me was when they put them away. It was that, you know, little six, seven, nine point kind of, you know, burst or edge that they got out of the locker room. And you Saw Kentucky try and whittle away at it, but there was just this team, you know, and Kentucky doesn't have a semblance of an identity offensively. That's been the chief criticism of Cal in the last three years. And, you know, once it got back to 16, 17 points, it was just like Missouri was going to have to make some mistakes to open the door, and they just didn't do that. The 1 3 1, I think, you know, slammed the door on Kentucky because this team just doesn't have the kind of shooting or the kind of, you know, coherence to figure it out. Like you said, they put Lance Ware in the middle of the zone. So it was it was just a situation where I think Missouri tactically 
got a toehold out of the locker room and they made a decision, we're going to be really thoughtful and we're going to be structured. And just that little bit of a difference, you know, give them the edge. Well, I mean, yeah, on the season, Kentucky is uh, shooting 39.5% from outside. I think in the first half, um, you know, they had started, I want to say, like one for nine. Yeah, they were not making shots early. Uh, and they did make shots in the second half. I think, you know, I think at one point I saw they were like five of eight. They were, you know, they were kind of catching up to that percentage, um, you know, kind of finishing. Um, or would they finish? 10 uh, of they 25? No, that was Missouri. 8 of 23. So 30, 34 and a half isn't, isn't all that bad. What's funny is, like, before the game, uh, I think you were probably traveling, but, you know, Watkins and I were kind of chatting, and, um, you know, I said, I think if Kentucky keeps their turnover percentage under 25 and shoots about 35% from the floor, they should be okay. Because I've, I've always been a believer that, you know, Cal, for all of his sort of, you know, faults in, uh, as a coach, like, he's always fielded, least reasonably good defensive teams uh and we've seen uh you know missouri go up against other good defensive teams and and kind of struggle you know to kind of keep the ball uh you know moving the half court get good shots in the half court uh i think their sort of foundation and what they what they're trying to accomplish is good um you know but but sometimes it kind of becomes a little bit of a struggle if, if you're able to kind of slow them down uh but in this case like there were just matchup nightmares all over the place. And the way Kobe Brown is playing right now, if he's able to consistently make outside shots, and this is a guy who his best season before this year shooting from outside was his freshman year when he shot 25.3 point or 25.3% from, from three point range. So far this year, he's shooting 45.7%. Will that hold up? <laughs> like, We've said just keep it at thirty-five, and you know around the NCAA average, and it changes things for this team as far as the ability to space him and the ability to put him in actions, particularly at the pinch post. Now you can really start to have to account for him as a guy who's going to pop instead of dive. You really have to account for him, you know, off ball sometimes if he's spacing. Sometimes if he comes in as a trail shooter, you've got to be aware of him. So it, I don't know if it's a guy where you go. Run a run him off the line, but it it forces the defense to think a little bit more about him in different actions. You can't just play him as a bully driver or a crab dribble into a post up. You, you've got to really think about what he's going to do once he finishes setting that screen and pops out from it. Yeah. So as a a guy who we've always sort of liked his skill level for his position, you know, he's a guy who's going to play the four a lot, maybe the five. Um, you know, five on this team, but on a lot of, you know, Conzo's uh, teams, he was typically at the four. You know, you really like that guy because he has skill, but the problem was is he never shot the ball well. Um, when he made shots, he was, a, he was a dangerous offensive weapon. And that's exactly what he's doing this year is he's, and I, I really, I don't, I don't think he's a guy you expect him to shoot, you know, 46% for the rest of the year. But again, like like you said, and like we've talked about before, like he just has to be a respectable shooter, and he's proven at this point um, that you're going to have to defend him beyond the three point line. Uh, if you don't, he can punish you. And so, what do you do? Is and I think this is one of the, the the pinches I think that that Kentucky found themselves in 
is they don't want to defend him with Oscar Shibwe. No. So they, they immediately start trying to switch and find guys who will defend Kobe Brown. Lance Ware can't do that because he doesn't have the foot speed. Um, you know, so <laughs> at that point, like there, are, there just aren't many guys who are going to be the size of Kobe who can play, uh, also, uh, defend him with strength, like around the rim, because he is really, really strong. Um, and have to also do that and, and extend the floor on him. And I think like, that's one of the things that, that him becoming a more consistent shooter has, you know, completely changed the angles of the floor, uh, for yeah. Missouri on offense. Yeah. And it means, like I said, it means you can't necessarily play a guy and drop or have a guy sitting low. Cause a lot of times what Missouri does is they wind up running those actions on an empty corner side. And so what you're really hoping to do is almost overload the other side or, you know, give yourself an option. You know, for a cutter through that main gap, sometimes they can do that. And we've seen that. Kobe will find a guy who's trying to slip up, you know, or back door. It changes the angles of the floor. It opens up a gap on that side. It's It's been important for them. Just in the last couple of games, I think they've, they've started to figure out some stuff offensively that they can do in the half court. And his shooting has been important to them in terms of what they've wanted to do, in terms of how they've set things up, the kinds of actions they're running. His shooting really, I think, eases some pressure on them and really helps them keep that optimal spacing. Because when they weren't shooting the ball well or he wasn't shooting as well, you could really start to see teams kind of do what they did last year, which was get a little saggy into gaps. You can see them playing a little bit more up the level of the screen or something really trying to gum Missouri up. That's changed a little bit. So we'll see how, you know, I guess uh, how sustainable the shooting is. But early on, it's it's been an extremely helpful for him and we'll see that may be a difference maker in Arkansas we saw what happened last year when Missouri couldn't shoot and what Arkansas was able to do to this team well and so that's sort of like a, a natural transition I think is sort of looking ahead um you know so because of our recording snafu I think our plan is to um basically skip recording next week we'll we'll kind of preview the next couple games here and then we'll come back um you know, after those games are complete. Um, and so up next, uh, Missouri actually has the, the weekend off, uh, which is nice. Uh, but they, they go to Fayetteville um, to take on the, well, I guess now they're just the uh, top 25. At least uh, Gary Parrish dropped them down to like 20th, I think, in his top 25 and mm-hmm. one. Uh, Missouri is actually ranked higher than Arkansas. If you'd, uh, you'd told me that was going to happen, um, I'd have, been a little surprised that Missouri would be higher ranked than than the Hogs uh, going into the game in Fayetteville. Uh, but a lot of that has to do with the fact that uh, Nick Smith has not played much. Uh, he is still on what they're calling like a knee management, um, you know, something or other. I know uh, management protocols. We know those well. Yeah, we're so, familiar with the. Yeah, it, so whatever issues he's sort of been having with his knee they're just trying to be careful obviously he has a lot of money um you know awaiting him at the nba level he's uh in pretty much every mock draft projected to be at least a top five pick um really talented guard but he just hasn't has been playing he's played in five games uh started four games yeah. uh trevin brazil um we know well uh trevin torres acl he's out for the year um, and he was really kind of breaking out. So he was one of the, the, the breakout guys the first nine games. 
Uh, when you take those two guys out of the starting lineup, like Arkansas this, this is an average team. Well, they're still really good, but I don't think they're they're like elite good. Um, I think they're top twenty five good. I mean, like, I look, I'm really impressed with Anthony Black. Um, he's a guy who I, you know, coming in, you never what know what to think with, with these sort of like lower five star guys. You know, the guys that are ranked at like the back end of the five star range. Those guys can kind of be hit and miss as far as their production. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess at this point we can learn to trust uh, that Muss will find ways to get production out of uh, out of talented guys. Uh, Ricky Council has been really good for them, um, but in the absence of both Brazil and Smith, the offense can get a little iffy, boggy. Yeah, uh, you know. Devo Davis, I think we both love as like an on-ball defender. Uh, he's really good in the mid-range, um, good off the bounce. As a spot-up guy, ugh, it's no, no, it's no. yeah, it's it's brutal. Um, and they tried to run him as a point guard last year, and that experiment died quickly, very very quickly. Yeah. Um, Muss is not uh, really trusting his other freshmen a whole lot. Uh, Jordan Walsh plays a, a good amount. He's he, I mean, he looks like a spider out there. He's just like, he's listed he, at six seven, but his arms are like so long. <laughs> uh, like, does that does that comparison seem all right? Like, he does he not kind of look like a spider? It just like, yeah, I think he's got like a seven two or seven three. He's like a plus six wingspan. He's that's huge. ridiculous. He's a pterodactyl, but low usage on the offensive end. Not a great shooter. Has sort of had to make his bones as a guy who runs the wings in transition and you know can cut a little bit and can be a lob guy for them, but he's not a guy who you're gonna say, hey, let's let's put him in action and have him go hunt for his play. He needs, I think he's sort of in a spot where he needs Nick Smith as much as anybody else because he needs that sort of creative player to make it happen for him. And you know, the physical tools are there. He's he's you know competitive as hell defensively know efficient with his touches but he needs guys to manufacture touches for him and it's it's that's hard with the ball handling situation the way it is yeah so uh, after that i mean like the the mitchell brothers are are sort of splitting you know minutes and they're they're okay um you know i like kamani johnson because he's a dirty work guy but you know he's not he's not a guy that's going to step in and and do a lot for you offensively other than mix it up around the rim and, and get offensive rebounds. Um, before the season, I had this marked down as a clear loss. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, I think Muss has done a lot of good for that program and he's, he's got them playing at a high level, but this is a team that, you know, coming off a loss at LSU, uh, they probably need a win to kind of right the ship a little bit. Um, but it's also like, you know, Eric Musselman has has pretty much started SEC play every year on a little bit of a, a rocky road, and it looks like uh, it looks like this could be another tough entry. Um, Missouri's playing really well. Are you confident enough that they can go down and steal a win? Arkansas started. <laughs> Arkansas started game slowly, and then they sort of find their edge. They start you know, sort of get 
their transition game going. The defense really cranks up. Both these teams are really, really good at forcing turnovers. Both of them exceptionally good at forcing live ball turnovers. Arkansas is sort of, you know, Missouri's got, I would say Missouri's a quick hands generation team. They have guys who really understand how to shoot gaps, really understand how to turn guys to get, you know, the ball exposed and sort of use their hands. Arkansas is a deflection link team. They've got a ton of length, a ton of size, and they can really swallow you up in passing lanes and really create deflections and live balls, turnovers off those. But these are two teams that can really get out and push. And I think, you know, this is the thing we've talked about, you know, Kansas and, you know, even with Illinois is, to a certain extent, who's dictating the type of pace? Whose pace is it? You know, Arkansas wants to play fast. They want to play off turnovers. Who's dictating what that looks like? To me, you know, I think what we saw against Illinois is if you've got a ball handler that you don't really trust or is young, this team can swallow them up a little bit. And, you know, so I think there's a way, if Missouri can find a way to get a toehold early, they can give themselves a shot here. Because I don't know if Arkansas necessarily is going to have the kind of half-court efficiency that, you know, they need at times. If Missouri can value the ball, if Nick Honor can do his job, and Missouri is able to, you know, be the one that's, you know, winning turnover generation, I think they can give themselves a shot here. Because Arkansas has shown that it will let teams sort of linger. Um... I think this Arkansas team is connected. You know, in the times I've watched them, I've never once saw them thought, you know, this is a team that looks sort of dis- disengaged. I think that's the one thing, you know, as much as Muss's personality might not be my cup of tea, he gets guys to buy into the concept of, of the team together. I think they're going to be engaged. This is going to come down to who I think executes better at imposing pace in their way. And if Missouri is able to do that, if Missouri is able to sort of put Arkansas in a bind where it's going to have to, you know, shoot the ball well to make up lost possessions. You know, this is an Arkansas team that is shooting just 30% from deep on the year. I think there's a way Missouri can get the possession map like we've seen to work in its favor. But BWA is always jacked up. It's going to be engaged. It'll be interesting to see how they handle it. It'll be the home opener. That fan base is going to understand what the stakes of this game are. So it's going to be fascinating. I think if Missouri can grow into the game and sort of get the pace dictated on its terms, they can give themselves a shot. Yeah, on top of like, you know, Bud Walton kind of being ready, uh, like they, they often are for for Missouri matchup, uh, it's very likely that Missouri is going to come into this game as a, as a top 25 AP ranked team. Um, they're currently 34th in Ken Palm. Um, but you know, Gary Parrish, like I mentioned earlier, does like a daily top 25 and one thing. Um, and his top 25 is usually very, very, very close to what ends up coming on the AP poll. Um, I don't think that there are AP voters will like put Missouri in like the mid teens. I would expect something probably like in the low twenties, maybe 21, 22, something like that. Yeah. Uh, but that's still going to be uh, Mizzou coming into Bud Walton Arena uh, for a rivalry matchup with a top 25 ranking. And that place is going to be jumping. Um, so this will be like the third real uh, rivalry game in a row um, for, uh, for this, this new Mizzou group. Um, it's like, this is, this is a tough thing because, you know, like, 
as Missouri fans, I think, especially over the last, you know, what, 10 years, I think we've grown a little uh, accustomed to disappointment. And I think they, the way that, <laughs> the way that they like got slapped around by Kansas, um, like that still, I think, resides a little bit, uh, at least for me, as far as like, what is possible. I think right now they're playing wonderfully. Um, I, I think that both Illinois and Kentucky will be fine in the long term. Um, and I think those are both going to end up being quad one wins. That's good for, for your tournament resume. Uh, but beating Illinois, who is struggling a little bit uh, on a neutral, and beating Kentucky, also struggling a little bit at home, is very different than going on the road and beating, uh, you know, Eric Musselman coach team. We don't like him. Uh, I think he sucks, but uh, they're they're tough, and uh, they will <laughs> they will play a game in the fifties. They will play a game in the nineties, uh, and whatever game is required, they will show up and they will fight, and and so. I would have a hard time picking Missouri to win, but I do think the way that they're playing, if they kind of continue to play that way, that they could pull this out. Yeah, I think that the one thing that they're going to face here is a building that's that's you know, like it's not the roundhouse was you know not against them, but BWA when it's worked up is is something. And Arkansas is a team that you know if you watch them, you know, in Maui or if you watch them even at the BOK Center when they were playing Oklahoma, that team is young and it feeds on the energy the crowd gives it. And it's going to get that on, on, you know, early next week on Wednesday. So I think it's going to be closer. You know, I think the eight point margin that Kim Palm has is probably right. I think that's, that's where it's going to be um, at the end of the day. And the realization, the real you know, thing for me is, you know, not that Missouri's you know, in any way safe here, but they've given themselves some margin for error. If this thing is an eight to 10 point loss, you know, to me, the biggest thing that what the Kentucky win did for them is if you play with Tourney Cast and you start to really look at, you know, how you build a resume, the Kentucky win really is something that takes you from 9 or 10 wins to 10 or 11, 12, if you start to look at what that does in predictive metrics for SEC records. So what they've done is they've bought themselves a little bit of wiggle room. They don't have to try and steal something on the road from Arkansas now. And I don't think they ever would have had to, but if you can pick that win off, things get really, really different, you know, for this team. I think its trajectory changes, not to the point where you say they're a protected seat, but you can really start to look at the rest of the conference slate and say, okay, the back end of the conference schedule is going to have probably four or five wins for them. They've gotten two that weren't expected to be wins in their first two games. Those middle 11 games now, if you can go six and five in that stretch, which is doable, you're at a point now where I think you can start to talk about 11 wins, and that's something that I think is going to be the tournament. So to me, a win, you know, BWA is more than just, you know, I think doing more to raise expectations for the season. I think it really, again, gives them some wiggle room, you know, going into late January, where I think they're going to have a lot of toss-up games that they have to sort of pick off, or they're going to try and, you know, get two or three. It gives you a little bit of wiggle room. So we'll see. Um, and don't overlook Vanderbilt <laughs> next Saturday. Just don't do that. Please don't overlook Vanderbilt. Yeah. Um, we, you know, a, a big part of, um, 
you know, making the tournament is winning the games that you're supposed to win. Um, so far, Missouri has won every game they're supposed to win, uh, and they picked off a couple that they weren't. Um, so that's kind of where you're at. Uh, if you lose to Arkansas, you go beat Vanderbilt. You're basically on course. Um, yep. And I, I, you know, I think it's important to stay on course. I would love to go to Bud Walton Arena and and have Dennis Gates in his first trip down there, like take down Eric Musselman. That would be great. Um, but it's okay. It's okay if they don't. It's okay. Just, just no. keep saying that. It, it it'll the, be okay if they don't. <laughs> the big the big stretch for me, I think, when I went through and looked at the average sort of projected margins. The big stretch is going to be the road trips to A&M in Florida, Arkansas and Alabama coming back, and Ole Miss. All of those games right now are probably forecasted as one-possession games. Either way. Like, it may be a one-to-two-point margin, you know, as an underdog, maybe three, I think, is the maximum where they're a home favorite over Ole Miss. But nothing you look at and say, or at Ole Miss, they're a slight favorite, actually, because Ole Miss is playing poorly. But those are games I think that, you know, if you can pick off Arkansas and then you could maybe go beat AM and get Ole Miss on the road. Now you've got four wins in your first seven games in the SEC. You've started to really give yourself, you know, the kind of resume that isn't just an eight nine line. You're starting to look at something that might be in a six seven line come March. So there's there's some hope here and, and a path for them to really position themselves well. But we'll see. It's it's you know I get why people are excited and you know this team has given us reason for that. But a win over Arkansas, I think, would would significantly ratchet up expectations more so than they it already is. I agree. Um, so I'm gonna say they go one and one. They take down Vanderbilt at home. Lose uh let's say lose a tight one. I'll say they they beat Kempom expectations. They lose by six. Um. You want to make a prediction, or do you just want to get out of here? I'll be an optimist this week and say two or no. Just oh, I, I I'm curious what Arkansas looks like coming off this. Must I think is going to have them focused. Um, I think both teams are going to be hyper hyper engaged. I just I'm curious what the turnover battle looks like there. If they're relying on Devo Davis, if they're having to move Anthony Black into more creative role, you know. The teams they've beaten that are ranked have had a, you know, either they've had a key cog or they've had, you know, a talent gap. I'm just not sure what, you know, Arkansas has here. You know, I think Ricky Council has played really well this year. I think he's, you know, a guy that, you know, I liked back when he was at Wichita State, but I'm going to pull up his numbers here. He's at, you know, respectable usage, respectable efficiency. But not a great jump shooter, having to do a lot of things off the bounce. You know, is that the guy that you, you know, do you think Ricky Council is the guy you're scared of? You know, as being the prime driver for that. And then who's going to back him up? You know, I think this team has some talent, but, you know, is there the sort of alpha, you know, that we saw that KU had where it had Jalen Wilson, a potential Big 12 POI, and a lottery pick available in Brady Dick, and then a good supporting gas. Arkansas's down. It's two guys that are probably lottery picks. Anthony Black is projected as one, but he's, you know, more is known as a facilitator than anything else. So I'm just not sure if Arkansas's personnel is is quite, you know, if they had one of Brazil or 
Smith available, I might feel better here. But I, but this is a team where I think they can maybe pause Arkansas some bits, and Arkansas starts slowly. And Missouri seems to play well when it gets its foot in, when it gets a toehold in something. So I think if they win, it'll be a two or three point win. I don't know what the score will be, but I think if Missouri can hold, you know, the hold up for the first to the under twelve timeout, they keep themselves in this game, and maybe you know they've shown that they're resilient late and they can close. So. I think they could get a two or three point win, so I'll I'll be an optimist this week and you know say that they pull an upset just to, just for the sake of diversity. <laughs> okay, uh, who knows? Maybe they win by nineteen. Um, so like I said before, we are going to uh use this recording as like next week's recording. Um, you've gotten a little preview. We're not going to go too deep on Vanderbilt. Obviously, we're already kind of up against it, running running late on a Friday night. Um, so. We will be back. Um, the fact that my name be you might be Watkins, um, but there will be a a podcast recorded uh, in a, about ten days or so. Um, in the meantime, happy New Year, everybody! Uh, enjoy the uh, the ringing of the New Year. Enjoy the next week of basketball. Enjoy the fact that your Missouri Tigers have beaten two top twenty five opponents in a row. Uh, Kobe Brown uh, just lighting up. The, the scoreboard with 61 uh, total points over that span. Uh, and thank you everybody for tuning in this entire uh, year of 2022. It's been a good one for, uh, for Mizzou athletics overall. It's been a good one, uh, you know, for, for our website and for uh, everybody kind of reading all the stuff. Um, make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast feed. Uh, you can do that at the Apple podcasts app or the Google play store. Um, if you're subscribed, you'll get before the box score beam directly to your phone. Uh, you can also listen to uh, us on Spotify. Uh, Nate and BK are, are doing things before the box score. Going to be talking about a lot of recruiting, transfer portal stuff. So you want to be tuned in for that. Uh, also head over to rockingnation.com. Click on all the things. You can follow Matt on Twitter at MattJHarris85. You can follow me at Sam P. Snelling. Uh, with all that said, thank you for tuning in. And we will see you next year.